Welcome back to the South Harbor Church Podcast. South Harbor is a part of the Harbor Churches, which exist to help people find their way back to God. This week, we continue our mini-series from the story of Isaac, and we consider a response to the traumatic events that Isaac has endured. As always, for more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor Church community, stick around after the message. And now, let's head over to Pastor Tim. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in Genesis 22 once again this morning, Genesis 22. And uh, as you're turning there, um, it's, so first off, it's going to be 82 today, right? You, you guys heard this in the 90s this week. So this is uh, as far back as I can remember, this is our nicest Memorial Weekend that I can think of. Uh, and um, as we all have like our things to celebrate, I mean, you're here, so hopefully this is part of your celebration. Um, but uh, as we think about what we're going to do on Memorial Memorial Weekend, and you know, f- between putting in the dock and grilling hamburgers, loading up the camper, making potato salad, all those things, uh, enjoy those things. But also, uh, make sure you take time in the next what is it, forty eight hours or so, to say a prayer of gratitude to God for all those who uh, lost their life in service or who uh, sustained injuries uh, in service that led to the loss of their life. Um, uh, our, as Christians, we want to stand with those in our community. So, especially we've we've got members here, and uh, and many of you have family members or loved ones who have lost someone uh, in service. And so, uh, take a moment and pray for comfort for them. Uh, this is for many of us. It's a party day, but uh, there are many in our world who this is not a party day, and uh, let's not lose that. Okay, um, that's the uh, thanks, Jim. Uh, that. Um, and then uh, this is also, by the way, uh, this, this one's easy to miss. Uh, this is Pentecost Sunday. Uh, it's an easy one to miss in our calendar, but this is the birthday of the church. Uh, the church was born on Pentecost Sunday, and, uh, and Jared read the story earlier. But uh, it's an incredible opportunity to remember that we God gave us each other. He could have just ascended and said, good luck, but God doesn't do that. He, he uh, actually sees the church as his hands and his feet in this world. And so... Um, I find that incredible. Uh, this is our birthday. Um, the, so every year, by our, I mean the global Christian church. This is our birthday. And so happy Pentecost to you. Uh, don't lose that today either. And then uh, the, the third thing is we got our kids in the service. And so kids, we're glad you're with us. I know I talked to a couple of you and you're already on summer vacation. And many of you, it's going to happen in the next couple days. Um, but we're, we're grateful that you're with us. Uh, every once in a while, we all get to gather in one service. And it's always great to have you with us, kids. Um, parents, I know I say this every time our kids are in the service, but uh, we expect your kids to be kids. And so if they make noise, uh, that that's totally expected. Um, it's totally fine. I've got three little ones of my own, and periodically I'll be up here and I'll hear the iPad firing up. And that means my wife has given up. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> But I totally expect it. All those kinds of things are totally normal. We're just grateful that we get to worship together as an entire church. Well, whoever's here. Um, but uh, we get to worship together with the kiddos. And uh, uh, also, um, uh, just so you know, we're going to continue the story we looked at last week. Uh, it's a relatively heavy story. We're going to, I'll do my best to give the PG version of that story just because we do have little ears and hearts here. Um, but it is, I think it's an important one. I wrestled with, do we just kind of skip this one for today with our kids present? Um, but I think it's an important one, and so we'll, we'll look at it together. It's one of the more difficult subjects uh, that the Bible does address pretty often, but it's just, the subject we want to think together about this morning is the subject of trauma. 
uh, of trauma. Uh, now, just a, a quick disclaimer. I do not pretend to be an expert on trauma. Hear me on this. There are experts. There are people who give their lives to studying trauma and to studying how to help other people through trauma. I do not pretend to be one of those. And uh, my job, really my big hope is that you would see that the Bible doesn't ignore this issue. Uh, we can tend to get uncomfortable with these kinds of issues and just totally ignore them. Uh, even myself, I can just ignore this kind of stuff. But the Bible doesn't ignore this issue. And I want to show you that. Um, the Bible uh, gives a story of somebody, uh, well, several people, but we'll look at one this morning. Uh, and it goes to the uncomfortable places, the places that we often are uncomfortable going. So my hope is to show you that if, if for any reason, uh, this, even the word trauma, uh, the idea of trauma or something in the message, something in the story triggers something in you, we have trained th- uh, trauma therapists that we work with and le- uh, don't wrestle through it alone. We'd love to get you connected. Of course, I would love to meet with you also. I just want to be really clear that I don't pretend. My expertise, I love the Bible. I love teaching the Bible and I love being a pastor. And that's my, where my expertise begins and ends. Okay, so just want to be really clear on that. Um, but let's dive into the story. Uh, if you were with us last week, uh, we looked at one of the more difficult stories if you missed that one, I highly encourage you to go back uh, because we dealt with the context of the passage and I think the context really changes how we hear this story. If you just kind of go into your Bible on your own, you may there's a good chance you misread this without knowing a little bit of the context of it all. Uh, that, that story, if you missed it in a sentence, is the, the story in which it seems to Abraham, or it, it says it, he does this, um, God says to Abraham, I want you to offer a sacrifice and that sacrifice is his son Isaac. And it's at the command of God, so it seems. And so uh, we wrestled through that. What I want to think about this morning is, uh, again, let's go back to that story, but I want to, I want to focus on what happens after that. Because we often talk about this story in kind of isolation, um, but what happens after the story? Because that kind of a moment is going to trigger some things in you. So how, how do, do the characters in the story respond on the back end of the story? What happens after the moment of significant trauma? Uh, so we're going to pick up the story mid-action. Uh, Abraham and Isaac go up to the mountain together. And uh, and then um, the sacrifice is about to happen. And God calls it off. And we'll pick it up there in Genesis 22, verse 11. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Don't lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and he took the ram and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. We left off last week right there. Let's keep reading. Verse 15, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants and they set off together for Beersheba and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. That's the story. Um, and we tend to read the story, and Abraham is celebrated for his faith, right? That he has this moment, and this whole story kind of uh, ha- leaves this giant question hanging, though. Where's, a- where's Isaac? 
You catch the detail in the text of verse 19. Uh, then Abraham returned to his servants, and they set off together for Beersheba, and Abraham stayed in, in Beersheba. You catch, do you catch it? Abraham and Isaac go up the mountain together for the sacrifice. Then God calls off the sacrifice, and we read that Abraham comes down the mountain, and Abraham returns home to a city called Beersheba. But where is Isaac? It's a, it's a detail in the text that, uh, if you read through any, any commentators, rabbis, uh, um, Old Testament scholars, what you'll discover is that they all catch this detail. Abraham, uh, Isaac, Abraham is mentioned, but Isaac is shockingly absent in this moment. He doesn't come down the mountain according to the text. Now, when, uh, when we read uh, the book of Genesis, we often talk about Genesis as, um, the, the three great patriarchs or the founding fathers of our faith are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. However, what you notice when you actually go into the text itself is that Isaac is shockingly silent in the text. Shockingly silent. Um, when I first sat down to put together the devotional and the sermon series for this year, it was right around this time last year, I sat down and I was trying to work through what are we going to preach on, on which week? So like, what am I going to teach through? And uh, initially what, I, what I, I saw was, okay, there's all these stories of Abraham. So which ones are, we can't, we, we don't have time to spend time with all of them. So which ones are we going to teach that kind of give us an overview of the life of Abraham? There's lots to choose from. And then you get to Jacob and Jacob has all kinds of stories about Jacob. There's lots of stories to choose from. But when you get to Isaac, there's just not a lot. And I remember my, I remember seeing down in the devotional thinking, this feels like a major roadblock. I'm like bumping into roadblock after roadblock trying to figure out what, what do we talk about with the Isaac weeks. There's just not a lot of stories. Uh, in fact, here's an experiment. Let's see if together we can remember every story of Isaac in the Bible. Name a story of Isaac. We, we just read one, right? So we read one, the Abraham binding of Isaac, it's often referred to. That's one. What's another story of Isaac? Jacob and Esau. Marriage to Rebecca. Yeah, those are like the top three. Those are the big ones. Uh, those three, you guys nailed it. Uh, those are like the three big ones when we talk about Isaac, those three stories. But did you notice in each of those three stories, Isaac isn't the main character in any of them. He's kind of hanging out in the shadows. The Abraham and Isaac story, it's, a, it's really a story where we talk a lot about Abraham. And we talk about Abraham's faithfulness and Abraham's sacrifice. And God, uh, Abraham talks to God and God talks to Abraham. And it's Abraham's story and Isaac's there. And uh, then you uh, you get to the, the meeting of his wife, Rebecca. But actually what you discover is Abraham sends his servant out because Isaac is 40 and uh, he's not married. That's pretty normal in our culture. But in an ancient culture, to be 40 and single is pretty abnormal. And so Abraham's worried that the covenant can't get passed on. So he sends out a servant and uh, the servant goes looking for a wife. And then we meet Rebecca and then we meet her family. And the whole time we're like, where's Isaac? Uh, and Isaac, uh, we actually, he only has two sentences at the very end of the story. He meets her later in the story. So like he's, this is a story about Rebecca or maybe Abraham or the servants, but it's really not about Isaac. Isaac's in the background. He's hanging out in the shadows. Um, uh, the third story, the Jacob and Esau story. We even call it the Jacob and Esau story because Isaac's there. Uh, he's, uh, but he's really, it's really, no one says oh, that story's about Isaac. We always say that story's about Jacob or that story's about Jacob and Esau or even that story's about Jacob and Esau and Rebecca, the mom. Um, but Isaac's just kind of hanging out 
in the shadows. And that, as I was putting this whole series together, I'm like, oh, that feels like a major roadblock. Um, there is one story that Isaac is the central character to. There's like, there's one, um, that Isaac is the main character in the story. Uh, story's told in Genesis 26. Story goes like this. There's a famine. It's not rained for a while, so there's no food. Uh, there's a famine, and Isaac's worried about this famine. So he goes to a neighboring king, a king of the Philistines, known as Abimelech. And he needs some support, some food, some help. And uh, Abimelech sees his wife, Rebecca, and says, well, who's this? And he says, she's my sister. Uh, that story's about Isaac. <laughs> That's the story. She's my sister. Um, but as you're reading that story, that's 26. Uh, as you're reading that story, it has like a deja vu effect to it. Like as you're reading the story, you're like, I feel like I've heard this story before if you're reading through Genesis. And that's because it turns out you have read that story if you're reading through Genesis. Almost the same story happened six chapters earlier to his dad, Abraham. Abraham, there's a famine. Abraham's worried about the famine. He goes to a king of the Philistines named Abimelech, same king. And he says, uh, I need some help. And Abimelech says, well, who's this? And he says, oh, Sarah, that's my sister. By the way, if you're Abimelech, you got to be like, what kind of weird family that keeps conning off their sister as their wife, or their wives as their sisters? Like the weird little hustle you guys have going on here. Um, but like even, so here's, here's what strikes me. Even Isaac's mess-ups aren't original. He's hanging out in the shadows even when he fails. His dad already failed in this way. His failure is even kind of not his own failure. He's just kind of hanging out in the shadows. He's not the main character in the story. That, for me, felt like a dead end. That's dead end number one. Here's dead end number two. There are three spots in the story. We looked at a couple of them. But there are three stories that... Isaac should be present for, and he's shockingly silent. Okay, so sometimes he's just the side character in a story, but sometimes he's just shockingly silent where he should be present. The first one being coming down the mountain. He should be there. He's not there. His silence is loud. Uh, the second story where he should be. Uh, then very next chapter, his mom, Sarah, dies. It is a son's responsibility in the ancient culture to carry on the funeral proceedings of the family, to carry on the grieving service for the family. We read that Abraham grieves. Pretty intensely he grieves for his wife's loss. But not once is Isaac mentioned in the story. You don't even know if he's in the story. Like, is he even present for this moment? We don't know. He's not mentioned. His silence is shockingly loud. Uh, the, the third story where he should be present and he's just really not is when they go looking for a wife for him as servants. Abraham's aware of what's going on. The servants are aware of what's going on. Now, it's not abnormal for a dad to go look for a son in this culture, right? It was often arranged marriages. But often the son would have some, some role in this. They would build a family room. They would do something. And yet in this story, Isaac doesn't show up until way later. He meets Rebecca after all this is played out, and he doesn't meet her until the very end of the story. He's silent, and his silence is shockingly loud as you read through the story. So um, dead end number one, he's like hanging out in the shadows. Dead end number two, every time he should be central in the story, he's so it's like shockingly silent. Here's dead end number three. Uh, I thought, okay, 
Uh, okay, what do we talk about? Uh, maybe I'll go to the commentaries and see what other people have to say about this story. Uh, now, if you know me, you know I don't love starting in the commentaries. I, I, I think it, it feels like cheating to me. Like, I, I like to start with questions and curiosity, and okay, I wonder what's... Like, I like to start there, and then I'll go back to the commentaries to make sure I'm on the right path. But um, I don't love starting in the commentaries. It feels like cheating. Um, but every once in a while, you got to cheat. So I was like, I don't know where to go. So I'm going to check out the commentaries. Here's the problem with the commentaries. The commentaries are pretty quiet about Isaac. Uh, there's some Jewish commentaries um, known as Midrash. Uh, and there are some things that are said about Isaac, but they're, they're kind of confusing. So for instance, here's a Jewish Midrash on Isaac. When uh, Jacob and Esau like trick dad. Okay, so Isaac has some kids. When they go to trick dad, dad uh, can't tell which kid is he's giving the blessing to because dad's like, what's struggling? His eyes, right? He's like losing his eyesight. And so the Midrash says, well, why is he losing his eyesight? That's because uh, in the moment of sacrifice, this uh, Genesis 22, the angel saw what was happening that was going to call it off and cried. And the tears of the angel fell into the eyes of Isaac. And then he went blind. Okay. What do you do with that? Like, what do you do with the... So I'm like feeling like dead end after dead end after dead end after dead end. And then I had what felt like an aha moment. I realized that maybe I was looking in the wrong place. I was looking for this moment in which Isaac would step to the front and be like a hero. I was looking for the moment when Isaac would step to the limelight and be the center of the story. But maybe the secret to to understanding a man like Isaac is not to look in the limelight, but to look in the shadows. And in particular, this question felt like it opened up the story What makes a man or what makes a person live their life in the shadows? What series of events, what trauma causes someone to live their life in the shadows? And it's when I started to ask that question that the Midrash and some of the other Midrash, but the the Jewish Midrash made some sense to me. So the whole... uh, um, the tears of the angels falling on the eyes. Uh, one thing to know about a, a midrash is uh, the Jewish rabbis, most or the sages, would tell these stories. They called them midrash about the biblical text. The point of the story wasn't to tell you what happened. Okay, so that's not their point. They're not trying to tell you histor- historical fact. What they're trying to do is tell a story that highlights some detail in the text that you might overread or miss just by reading it too fast. Something that you might read right over. And in this case, the whole tears in the eyes thing, what they're trying, it seems, what the rabbis are trying to help us to see is that while we tell the binding of Isaac's story, Genesis 22, and we always talk about Abraham or God, we rarely remember that there's a third character in the story. And we tend to not think about the story through the eyes of Isaac. But until you read the same story and try to see the story through the lens of Isaac, all these weird little details that we read right over last week, they don't make a lot of sense. But once you see them through the lens of Isaac, all of a sudden the weird details start to add up and a story begins to emerge. I bumped into uh, one retelling of the story by a rabbi, Paul Kipnes. 
And uh, he does a really beautiful job helping draw connections between all the weird little details in Genesis 22 uh, if you look at the story through the lens of Isaac. I'll do my best to try to cover some of them. But I just need you to, to imagine what we read last week only through the lens of, through the eyes of Isaac. So first off, um, there's a little bit of debate here, but most scholars will say Isaac's probably around the age of 15 to 17. Now, um, in a couple of chapters, he's 40, and so some people debate and say, no, he's a little bit older than that. Um, but most likely, he's somewhere between 15 and 17. And dad says to him, Abraham, uh, Isaac, I want you to come with me. We're going to go to the region of Moriah. We're going to go on a hike together. Now imagine, uh, if dad says to you, uh, I want to go on a hike with you, son. We're going to climb some mountains. We're going on a hike. Uh, as a 15-year-old, isn't that exactly what you want to hear? Dad wants to spend time with me. Um, I, I've observed in my own son like how much play. I actually was just reading a study that the best way we as dads can show our kids that we love them is through play. Like they, when they asked a bunch of kids, like, when do you feel the closest to mom or dad? They said, oh, it's when we're playing together. So like this is, a, okay, I want to spend some time with you, son. Uh, let's go. We're going to go mountain hiking. And this 15-year-old boy goes. And I just imagine uh, Isaac is thinking while this is happening, my dad's an important man. We know this from the text. He's uh, known in the, in the Bible as a macher in Hebrew. It's a, an important person or an ish gadol, uh, a, a great man. He's an important man. He talks to God directly. And God talks back. And you know this happens because you've heard the stories of how, like you've heard the stories of how you came to be. You know that he's a, God promised your dad that he's going to be the father of a nation. And someday nation, all the nations of earth will, will count, the, will tell the story and they'll trace the roots back to Abraham. We're here. They didn't even know this nation existed and yet we're here and we tell the story. And you know this. So you're going to go out hiking with dad. Uh, you crave the time with dad. You've seen how dad has made all these holy connections with all these other people. And yet, uh, according to the biblical text, there is very little interaction between Isaac and Abraham. It kind of screams at you when you're looking for it. Like there's very little connection. And you probably, I'm reading between the lines, but you probably have wondered, did I do something? Am I not good enough? Am I not worthy enough? Am I a failure? All the things that a 15-year-old kid's going to ask themselves when dad is shockingly absent from their life. Maybe you've even gone to mom and said, mom, why does dad not want to hang out with me? Why does dad not want to play with me? Why doesn't dad want to spend time with me? And mom has said to you, your dad's an important man. He's got busy work to do. You know your dad loves you, but he's busy. And yet the whole time you're wondering, is that does, does he have time for me? But now dad has said, we're going to go hiking. Uh, and um, eventually you ask the question, well, well, why? And your dad says, well, you're going to, we're going to offer a sacrifice. Now, culturally, you know what this means. Uh, in the ancient culture, when a boy offers the sacrifice on behalf of a family, it was a rite of passage. It was dad's way of saying, you're now a man. Okay, so that was how dad would say, you, you move from being a boy to a man. And culturally, that happened for all boys at the age of 12. So when Jesus offers a sacrifice uh, for his family at 12, very culturally normal, that's what the, a 12-year-old boy would do. They're now becoming a man. However, uh, Isaac's older than 12. No one debates that. Isaac's older than 12. So how many years go by where he's wondering, does dad forget about me? 
Am I not? Like, does dad not see me as a man? Am I not responsible? Like, what's going on here? But dad now wakes you up and says, we're going to do this. Um, but then you've noticed that dad's already prepared the wood and um, and the sacrifice. And that feels weird to you because you've got servants. Uh, and culturally, your servants would do that. And dad's an important man. Why is dad doing all this work on his own? Why not do the... And dad's cutting down trees in Beersheba. There's not a lot of trees in Beersheba. There's trees in Jerusalem where we're going. But there's not trees in Beersheba. What is going on here? And why didn't he ask me to help him? Uh, dads, have you ever noticed that your kids like to help? Right? Like they do. My, um, yesterday, uh, we were mowing the lawn for my in-laws up at their place and, uh, and little push, like this tiny little push mower. And my son goes, can I, can I mow the lawn? He's nine. And, uh, and I look around to make sure my wife's not looking. And I'm like, yeah, why not? Uh, because, you know, he's going to cut off his toes or, but like, but like he just wanted to help. He just wanted to push the mower because that's what boys want to do. They want to help their dads often. And, uh, and Abraham has got, or Isaac's got to be wondering, why didn't dad ask me to help cut down the wood? This is my sacrifice. And then they set out. Here's another detail in the text that's easy to read over. Sarah's never mentioned. Most think that he, Abraham never tells Sarah. Why doesn't Abraham tell his wife? Does she, does, is he afraid of what she's going to say? He, he knows what he's going to do. Why doesn't he tell his wife? Will their marriage survive this? Other scholars will note that the very next story is uh, Sarah's death. Many believe that Sarah dies while they're gone. Why does she die? Does she die because she has a broken heart? Will, did their marriage recover? Is that why Abraham grieves so heavily? Again, you've got to fill in some of the blanks, but there's a story that begins to emerge. Now, um, they eventually make it to the region, and i got to imagine Isaac's feeling tired. Right, It's a three-day journey. He probably goes to sleep. Dad maybe tucks him in a blanket. And then he wakes up. And uh, Dad's already made an altar. Again, why didn't Dad invite me to make the altar with him? Now here's where you got to kind of figure this out. Um, uh, in Hebrew class in seminary, this was one of the passages we memorized. And then we had to decide how to act it out. Hannah, they're probably still doing this, right? Are they still acting this passage out? Yeah. Um, and uh, they essentially, what you, we would have to do is we'd have to make decisions that are, we'd have to read between the texts and make decisions. So you, you read that Abra- Isaac is offered as a sacrifice, but here's the decision you have to make. Does he just lay down as a sacrifice? That's very Christ-like, right? Christ gives himself over and there's all these Christ connections, three-day journey, carry the wood. Um, so, so maybe that's a decision. The other decision is, does dad have to tackle his son? Does, does dad have to bring him on the altar? Again, we don't know. We don't. Text doesn't tell us. You got to make that decision. However it plays out, uh, the, the sacrifice gets called off. Sacrifice gets, the angel calls off. Why, don't do this. I'm tr- there's a bigger lesson. We looked at it last week. Sacrifice gets called off. And yet it's at this moment, uh, what you realize is that there's one line in the text that's spoken between Abraham and Isaac. Here's the line. Dad, the wood and the knife are here. But where's the lamb for the sacrifice? Abraham says to son, God will provide the lamb, my son. Some people say what what he's saying is God will provide the lamb, my son. We don't know. Um, But that's the only exchange between Abraham and Isaac in the entire Bible. One line. Where's the lamb? God will provide the lamb. That's it. That's the only exchange between father and son. This moment happens. Abraham leaves, goes back home. If you're Isaac, what are you thinking in this moment? 
Why doesn't dad wait for me? I know I'm angry. I know I'm hurt. But why is dad letting me stay back on my own? Why doesn't dad chase me? Why isn't dad staying with me? Abraham goes back to Beersheba. He becomes a great nation. His, through his grandson, Jacob, he has, uh, we're here today because of it. Isaac doesn't come down the mountain in the text. Doesn't say anything about Isaac. See how if you read the story, and like this, like Isaac becomes a man who this moment leads to what appears to be some significant impact or trauma. Uh, I'm expecting a, uh, Isaac to step into the limelight, but a, I think a better question is to ask what causes a person to, to live their lives in the shadow. And the word we would give to that is the word, we use the word trauma. Trauma. Uh, and one of the most significant traumas, according to trauma experts, that anyone can face is trauma at the hands of an adult who is supposed to protect us. Parents, grandparents, pastor, doctor, some adult that was supposed to protect us and didn't. Some of the most significant trauma that we will ever go through comes at the hands of them. And Abraham and Isaac in this moment feel like there's a break. The next time you will see Abraham and Isaac together, Abraham is digging his grave. The next time he's mentioned in the text is at the burial of Abraham. Uh, the, the former or the, the late chief rabbi, Jonathan Sachs, says this. He says, apparently even an arrested sacrifice has a victim. Uh, Holocaust, Holocaust survivor Elie Wiesel uh, spoke ex, uh, extensively about Isaac. He will make the claim, if you heard of, you've heard of Elie Wiesel, uh, book Night was big. Uh, he talks about Isaac and he says Isaac is his favorite character in the Bible. Uh, he makes the connection that Isaac, uh, so Old Testament's written in Hebrew, New Testament predominantly, New Testament's predominantly written in Greek. Um, uh, there's a Greek translation of the Old Testament known as the Septuagint, essentially taking Greek words and translating the Hebrew Bible. And what he's noted is that the, God says, I want you to offer Isaac as a whole burnt offering. That's the language. And in Greek, the word whole is the word holos, and burnt offering is the word cost. And so Elie Wiesel will say that, uh, that Isaac is the first Holocaust survivor. He then will go on and say this. He says, we are so taken by Abraham that we are distracted from his son's unspeakable suffering. And the word we would use for these life-altering tragedies is trauma. Now, um, we use the word trauma relatively flippantly. I'm guilty of this myself. We will say things like, that was a traumatic experience for things that really weren't traumatic. Like, I had a bad taco, and then I had a, and that was a bad traumatic um, but trauma is a, uh, it's also a clinical diagnosis, um, with really specific diagnostic features. Uh, in a clinical sense, a trauma is defined as a psychic injury so destabilizing that it overwhelms normal mental, emotional, and biological functions. Uh, the best book on trauma that I've read is a book called The Body Keeps the Score by an author named, uh, uh, uh a trauma expert named Bessel van der Kolk. Anybody read The Body Keeps the Score? Yeah. Um, it's a fantastic little, uh, well, it's a pretty deep book. But he observes that uh, deeply traumatized people will feel, and I quote, a mixture of numbness, withdrawal, confusion, shock, and speechless terror. 
And often if um, a trauma is not just a, a moment, but a continuous series of moments calling back to that moment, uh, what we would refer to as PTSD or post-traumatic uh, stress disorder. Um, and, uh, well, here's a story. Uh, when I was a younger pastor in my 20s, I was, uh, um, you know, in your 20s, you have all this energy. Some of you in your 20s, you have all, the, like you're made of a mixture of rubber and magic in your 20s. And so I had this call, um, you can put that on a t-shirt, by the way. I am made of rubber and magic. Uh, I, uh, I, there was a gentleman in my church, I was pastoring, uh, and he had gone into the vet clinic, and, or the vet hospital. And, uh, and so they said, anybody want to go visit? And I'm like, I'm in. I had never met this gentleman. Uh, he didn't really come to church much, but I knew he was connected to somebody in our church. So I said, I'm in, I'll go. And so I drive down and um, I go into the hospital and I sit down by his bedside and I ask a question. Now, honestly, I cannot remember what question I asked. I do remember what he did. He shut his eyes and he had the look of sheer panic. Uh, his daughter must have caught it too because she pulls me aside. I'm sure it was a really bad question. It's a really insensitive question. But uh, she pulls me aside and she says, Dad is a Vietnam vet. And um, we don't know many stories from his days in Vietnam. He doesn't really talk about it. And we've learned not to ask about it. But uh, he goes through these seasons where he can't disassociate. Uh, his dreams kind of become his nightmares, which become his uh, lived experience. And he can't disassociate. And so I said, well, what do you do? And she says, you know, we've learned that we just have to remind him we're here and we love him. We're here and we love you. And we won't, we won't ask questions, but if you want to talk, we'll listen. We're here and we love you. We won't ask questions, but if you want to talk, we'll listen. By the way, um, those kind of interactions change how you think about Memorial Day, right? When you meet people like that and you realize, oh, wow, that's, that's your story. Uh, I've got some close... Um, some people who are close to me who were recently spent three months in the uh, pediatric intensive care unit. And they're now home and things look fine, but their son, their 16-year-old son, had gone through some, um, had some stuff going on and they couldn't really figure it out. And so they lived in uh, Helen DeVos Hospital, then they flew him out to Mott's Hospital in Ann Arbor. And now they're home and I've chatted with them about it and they'll say the beeping sound of the ICU like you hear phantom beeps everywhere. And then they'll describe every once in a while, like the microwave will go off and it sends us into like a panic because they've heard the phantom, they've heard the beeps and knew that those beeps at one point could have been their son losing his life. Those kinds of experiences, we are told uh, the best word that we have for them is the word trauma. I am uncomfortable talking about trauma because I know that I'm a phony when I talk about trauma. I don't know much about trauma. I know that. However, the Bible is not so uncomfortable talking about trauma. The Bible tells these stories of actual people who have gone through these significant seasons. So uh, does he withdraw? Does he pull back? Does he? There's actually some interesting clues in the text for how Isaac is going to respond uh, to what happens in this moment. So he doesn't come down the mountain, but we are. The next time we're told, uh, talk. next time Isaac is mentioned in the text, we're given some clues as to where Isaac is. It's years later. He's 40. So 25 years later, uh, we uh, his family goes hunting for a wife for him. They find 
Uh, mom dies. He's not present. They find a wife named Rebecca. And then Rebecca is going to get introduced to Isaac for the very first time. And we're told where Isaac is. Listen to this. Isaac, uh, Genesis 24. Now Isaac had come from Be'er Lahai Roy, for he was living in the Negev. In the Negev. It feels like a passing detail, but it is not a passing detail. The Negev, uh, some of you were in the Negev with me uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, the Negev is the desert. The desert is a place where not much lives or grows. The desert in the Bible is a physical place, but often it's a place where people will go when they want to tell God, this is what my soul feels like. Um, we are then told this detail. He went out to the field one evening to meditate. The word meditate there in Hebrew is a word suach. Uh, suach means to meditate, to muse, or to sulk. For tw- 25 years maybe, he goes off into the desert and he's hurting. Feels like he's responding to some trauma. Another detail that's easy to miss uh, is this specific place he goes. We're told he goes to the Negev, but not just the Negev. We're told he moves to a place called Be'er, or you could say Beer. That's okay. Uh, Lahai Roy. Beer Lahai Roy. It sounds like the name of a Caribbean resort. Like, I'm going to Beer Lahai Roy. Um, but uh, it's actually... If you're reading the text, you're like, I feel like this place has come up before. I have deja vu. Where has this come up before? Google it. It turns up, turns out that this place has come up in the text before. Do you know where? Genesis chapter 16. Uh, Abraham and Sarah can't get pregnant. They prayed. They've waited multiple years. They waited to get pregnant. They have not gotten pregnant. They're old. So they think maybe I'm just too old, but God promises kids. Sarah cooks up a plan. What if you take on another wife and she has your child? So Abraham goes looking for a wife. He finds a gal by the name of Hagar. Hagar gets pregnant with a boy named Ishmael. Ishmael becomes later the the uh, Muslims trace their roots through Ishmael. Um, she has a boy named, named Ishmael. But while she's pregnant, Sarah sees Hagar's belly growing and says, uh-oh, bad idea. It's, we call it jealousy. And she says, I don't want her anymore. What you, like her, pre- no. So they, she kicks out with Abraham. She convinces Abraham, get this woman out of here. And uh, they essentially kick Hagar out of the house. Get her out of here. Out of the protection of the Bedov. We talked about Bedov. She's on her own. She goes to a place to ask God to help her. It's a place that she says, finally an angel says, Hagar, God sees you. He's always seen you. She names the place, God sees me. In Hebrew, it's called Be'er Lahoi Lahai Roy. Uh, you can read about it in Genesis chapter 16. Isaac, here's the connection to make. Isaac moves to the very place that Hagar moves when she was traumatized. He goes to her place. Like she gets it. Is Ishmael there? He's now older too. Is he still there? Because he was kicked out of the family too. Is he there? We don't know. What we do know is that Isaac and Ishmael do come together to bury Abraham. So at some point they reconnect. Probably he's at Be'er Lahai Roy as well. Isaac, when he feels like he's been booted by his family, 
Like what dad, what you did to me now, mom is dead. Like I got nothing there. He moves to a place where Hagar and Ishmael at least were, if not are. And Rebecca comes on the scene. She's to be his bride. And then we read this. Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother, Sarah, and married Rebekah. So she became his wife and he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. So Isaac's finally comforted through Rebekah. But here's the detail in the story that's weird. Did you catch a weird detail? What's weird about this detail? Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother, Sarah. That's not weird for us at all. What's weird for them? I know it's not progressive. They're not a progressive. But women didn't have tents. Men had tents. That's how it's always Abraham's tent. When you read this detail that he brings her into the tent of his mother, Sarah, why is he cutting dad out of the story? What did dad do? You, You get the sense in the details that there's some significant pain he's still working through. And for 25 years, he's not mourned his mom's death, probably because he's still angry. And finally, Rebecca is going to draw him out of it. Um, trauma experts will tell us that, um, that when we go through a traumatic experience, it's not the event that happened to us that does the most damage, but the prolonged impact of that event. Uh, in particular, um, they tell us that when a traumatic event happens, our system gets hijacked by, and one of three self-preservation modes kicks in. It's our body's way of protecting ourselves. God, God's way of protecting ourselves. Uh, one of three. Fight, flight, or freeze. You've heard of these three. Fight, flight, or freeze. When something happens, we either fight back, we like, go numb, or we like freeze, or we get out of there. Um, fight, flight, or freeze. Uh, that's very, that's, again, that's a God-given response. However, what can happen when a traumatic event happens in our life is that event can get us stuck in that response. So if your go-to is to fight, you can get stuck in fight. Uh, and uh, we are told that if you get stuck in fight, that's anger. You, you know somebody who's got constant like flying off the handle or violence, um, these bursts of anger. There may be a traumatic experience that has them stuck in flight, in fight. If you get stuck in flight, often the, that can lead to anxiety. Like, is somebody out to get me? Maybe if you look around and you're like, there's no reason to be afraid right now. Why are you afraid? But there's something back there that has caused them to be stuck in flight. Um, or you can get stuck in freeze. Uh, this, this like, okay, I, uh, which can just lead us to inward, turning inwards again and again and again, which can lead to some significant depression. Um, when we are stuck, that's where things get really, like that's where trauma gets really, can get really destabilizing. If you find yourself there or somebody you love there, please hear me on this. You are not broken. You are stuck. Those are different things. Uh, Rebecca comes in the scene and God uses Rebecca to help Isaac get unstuck. He's stuck. Couple thoughts to land it. Uh, thought number one: these these people in our Bible, they're human. I love the Bible's unlike any other book, uh, any other historical book, um, any other the founding of a nation book. In that, it, all of the main characters in the stories are shockingly human. We live in a world where everything is perfect and pretty. It's uh, perfect. 
perfect bodies, perfect hair, perfect teeth, perfect marriages, perfect parenting advice, perfect, 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 perfect. The Bible wants you to, to, to see that perfection has never been the bar, ever. The heroes of the scripture are messy. That's the first point. Second point, they're also human. Uh, this I find really helpful. Um, we don't know everyone's backstory. We can see how they respond, but we don't know people's backstory. Abraham has a backstory. We know Abraham. Is Abraham a perfect man? No. Is he a good man? He's a good man. He messes up sometimes, but he's a good man. But he's also just a man. If we can see the person as, okay, maybe they were just trying to do the best with what they had, and they didn't do it perfectly. From that place, we can find forgiveness. And forgiveness is how we get set free. That doesn't mean what they did wasn't horrible. They might have been horrible. But until we can see, okay, they were just a man. They, they don't, they were just a human. On that, from that place, we can let that go. Does that mean reconciliation? We'll talk more about forgiveness in our next series. That's the second thing. Third thing uh, from this text to pay attention to is when we are hurting, we often move towards people who are also hurting. Isaac moves to Ishmael and he moves to Hagar who are also stuck in their pain. I have found that when people are hurting, they often look for other people who are also hurting because it gives us an excuse to to not move past it. Um, He finds that if he can excuse himself from life, he can punish them. And it's Rebecca who will call him out of the desert, call him back into community. Uh, we celebrate this story on Pentecost because it's the birthday of the church. We need each other. Uh, God's given us his spirit as a community together because if you're going through this, please hear me. You do not have to work through this alone. Would you pray with me? Lord, we, uh, we lift up uh, every single uh, person in our space this morning who's listening online, Lord, who feels like right now they're stuck. And um, something happened to them. Uh, Lord, would you remind them that you're the God who sees. You're the God who saw them in it, Lord. You, you were with them in it. And Lord, would you remind us as a church that we are to be your body. Uh, Lord, help us together to seek your health. Uh, Jesus, we love you. We trust you. And we pray this in your name. And everybody said... We hope that this week's message has brought you both some challenge and some blessing. For more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor Church community, find us on the web at www.southharbor.org or find us on Facebook and Instagram at South Harbor Church. And on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m., you can find our service streamed live on our Facebook page. And so from all of us here at South Harbor and the Harbor Churches, we want to wish you a blessed week.